ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dying Time is here. That's right, we're talking about 1982's The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, everyone. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from Antarctica, winter. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we're dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film. The characters are going to unpack some, if not all, the gory details of John Carpenter's The Things and The Things. <laughs> the sequel, the Thing things. with a dollar sign on it. Uh, <laughs> hopes that an arctic researcher's untimely end it's just the beginning of the jokes we can make at their expense and as always there's only one person i trust that if she finds my dirty drawers in her trash can she'll make sure i get locked in the shed so i don't assimilate anybody the one the only gina radcliffe how are you doing today gina i want my kitchen clean (laughs) (laughs) i need it sterilized (laughs) keep your germs out of there (laughs) I mean, Knowles has a point. It's pretty gross to find. It really does have a point. Torn up, kind of cruddy looking underwear. (laughs) It's super gross. Kitchen trash. (laughs) (laughs) And while he's surprised, he's not that surprised. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, it's not like, well, this hasn't happened before. It's like, don't let this happen again sort of situation well i I think of it as you've got a bunch of dudes in a uh, research facility um and i think of a a a tweet i saw um talking about uh robert eggers movies Mm -hmm. and and they're they're basically a trilogy of i know it smells crazy in there (laughs) 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 there's two mainly outdoor films and one film where there's a lot of lobster farts and but all of them have a smell that's you just you can see it. It's it just, is pungent. There's a <laughs> lot of I think the I think the things that you have in common with these movies is nobody knows what a bath is. <laughs> yeah, even though they might be surrounded by water, there's like mm, that's fetid. You're all <laughs> you're all too far gone. <laughs> and you know, uh, okay. Let's just, um, things are crazy in the world right now. And there have been times in which uh, the Kill by Kill podcast has been a well-oiled machine where we're very organized and we have episodes and guests lined up and all sorts of things, uh, you know, our ducks in a row. And then there are times like the early summer of 2022 where we started out way ahead of the game and somehow managed to find ourselves deep in a hole which we cannot emerge for a whole host of reasons and for that we apologize but also it gives us an opportunity opportunity to do weird shit like oh i don't know talk about parasite 3d or gina's idea which is to talk about one of our favorite horror movies in a kind of not quite so kill by kill way where we're not so dedicated to the characters just in case we i feel like we could go back to this well so we're here to just kind of talk about what we love what we know how we feel about john carpenter's the thing a classic episode zero as it were i mean we don't need to tell you that this movie was a huge flop 
uh, upon release, released the same day as Blade Runner, which was <laughs> another huge flop. It, was, it did worse then, but not that much worse. And, you know, both of them, you you can't think of two more influential films, honestly, when it comes to their release. But I think that the top five for this weekend was E.T.'s second weekend and the film that did better than both of them was Grease 2. Now, I love <laughs> Grease 2. Don't get me wrong. But it just, it shows you how the environment for movie going can turn on a dime. Where everyone was okay with Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan, but Blade Runner and John Carpenter's The Thing, that's too far, baby. Yeah, because I because I love an, an underdog. They are they mm. are both among my favorite movies. <laughs> sure, they're both lovable. There's, I mean, like I said, they're two of the most influential films ever committed to celluloid in terms of their reach. Just just this week that we're recording this, we're on the eve of uh, when the uh, season finale of Stranger Things is going to come out. And you look at the designs of Stranger Things, especially the Upside Down. It is rife with the human, gross, alien vine look of the thing. That comes from the thing. So the biggest stuff in the world all has the DNA from these two gigantic flops that just got pressed by the steamroller that was legitimately one of the greatest films ever made et the extraterrestrial not to mention you also have toby hooper's poltergeist that's a being solid, released that same so, fucking month solid month solid month 1982 it's just a murderer's row of great fucking movies do you play and especially uh, uh you know uh genre cinema do you play uh the box office game I find that I am terrible at it. I do play it, but I do not post how I, I play. I, I will post Hurdle because I'm very good at that. Like I got Wu Tang's Cream one second, but it take like my scores are shit for the box office game. Um, I do great uh, as long as it is pre 1995. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I will. I will go. I will go one step further. I would say like 1997 or 98. 97 yeah. is is 98 is easy because if it's like within the first three months of 98, the answer is always going to be Titanic. Titanic, right? Uh, just like when you look at uh, the second half, if you get the second anywhere in the second half of 1982, ET mm-hmm. is going to be somewhere around there. You don't even need yeah. to look at a single clue. Right. But I, I find that particularly from the 2010s on I, uh, there are uh, a lot of times where I'm like, is that a real movie? <laughs> you know, it's, you know a, a lot of, you know, things that came out for like, you know, a week you did fairly well and then mm-hmm. just immediately disappeared into oblivion. Um, did you have at the time? Cause I, I know you were, you had a lot more access to horror movies than I did. Yeah. I, I only heard about this. Because my dad, for whatever reason, and I may have told this story before, took my mom to see this movie when we were in Balboa Island. (laughs) And when they got back, I was told two things. One, your father's not allowed to pick movies anymore. And two, uh, I was going to love it. 
when I was allowed to see it one day. I thought you were gonna. Say, I thought you were gonna say my parents came home. My mother said we're getting a divorce. <laughs> I I think it was implied, if not spoken out loud, and yet they've never pulled the trigger on it, which is either good or bad, depending upon your idea of the subject. Um, but yeah. <laughs> He was not allowed to pick movies again. Now, that's not to say that my mother had better taste because she was also the one who lost her ability to choose movies for all of us when she took us to see Richie Rich. Oh, boy. Yeah. And we were, uh, I'd say, the vast majority of us at least voting age. I was going to say, when, we were you, taken. When, when you've been like around 20 when that came Oh, yeah, no. I, <laughs> I was the oldest. I mean, we were, none of us were of the prime Richie Rich film going age. And I don't know what came out against it, but none of us voted for Richie Rich. And yet that's what we were dragged to that Thanksgiving or Christmas that it was released. And, you know, we have that tradition of let's go to a movie so we don't have to talk to one another. It's a, it's a great thing, everyone. Well, that's okay. Uh, uh Christmas of 2019, we went to go see Cats. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I waited to see Cats until I could see it at home, uh, high on edibles. And <laughs> turned out some of us in the group had a little too many. I had just enough. But no one has enough uh, marijuana in their system to handle the last 10 minutes of that film in which... Dame Judy Dench stares you dead ass in the eyes and talks to you in a fucking monologue while she's stroked. Like, it, what it the basically, fuck is going on? Saying some blather about how dogs aren't cats and cats aren't dogs. <laughs> and sounded like she had had an edible before filming. <laughs> Very much so. That's like, why you put that in the middle. <laughs> Why are you ending this on a dance? I thought you were going to say that uh, yeah, the person had too many edibles lost their mind when uh, um, Rebel Rebel Wilson uh, takes off like takes off her cat outfit with a zipper, oh, yeah. and there's she's still a cat underneath. Like she's not <laughs> she's not naked. <laughs> she's you know like- <laughs> that felt I won't say sane, but like while. It blew my mind. I didn't want to stop watching when that happened. I just shouted out loud, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> but when Jane, when Dame Judy Dench is just like commanding your attention and you don't you're not sure if you're allowed to look away. That's how I felt like if I looked away, she'd tell the queen and then the queen will tell my mom or something. I also appreciate that uh, apparently when having his costume designed, uh, Jason Derulo basically said, I'm not wearing a cup. (laughs) (laughs) I worked too hard for this. (laughs) I've got three things, a a mid amount of vocal range. I can dance and I've got this Johnson. All three have to be on display, everyone. You got poor Idris Elba just looking like a Ken doll, just right. smooth. <laughs> and, Meanwhile, and, Taylor's like, I, it needs to be impar- you know, apparent to everyone that I've got a rack. Like, this <laughs> has to be out there, everyone. <laughs> of all the things she could do to be like, oh, she's sexy now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is one of the more ass-centric films I've ever watched in my life that wasn't really about asses. And I recently watched Meatballs, which has a lot of ass in it. <laughs> what are we talking about? 
did. We did say this was going to be a little more conversational than uh, basically people like if you were not signed up for Patreon, this yeah. kind of sounds like what our Patreon episode is like. <laughs> it really does have a lot of Patreon. We, we go on, on we go it. on way more tangents there and, and yes. don't don't focus as much on the movie, like breaking yes. down the movies. And, you know, one of the things that we, I won't say struggle with, like, it's how the show has kind of evolved. Like, we start off talking about uh, Friday the 13th simply because that had all the weirdest characters that we'd ever seen committed to film. And we thought, let's talk about these people who only appear on camera for seven minutes and try to make something out of it. And then we kind of morphed over time where we're a lot about character, but we 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 start tackling movies that aren't on everyone else's menu and let's just be honest everyone else has talked about john carpenter's the thing well yeah i just you know we talked about well maybe we should just have episodes in which you know we talk about a movie i really love and we talk about a movie you really love yeah and it just so happens i i don't know i i don't have a lot of love for uh horror fans who try to tell you that their favorite horror movies like cannibal holocaust (laughs) (laughs) it's like no it isn't come on come the fuck on like that's that's your comfort movie that's something you enjoy that's something you're like wow the technical prowess uh on display here when they kill that turtle that's something i go back to over and over you know i had a hard day at work time to kick back with some cannibal holocaust (laughs) Listen, this thing is so well made. I mean, (laughs) it's more. Yeah, I I don't know. Listen, I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum. There's very possible that 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 is someone in actuality's real favorite movie. I have trouble believing it's some people's favorite movie because it's such an edgelord fucking pick. But that's not to say someone couldn't make the fucking case. Whereas... John Carpenter's The Thing. I have probably watched one, at least once a year since 1983, at least. I, I've watched it three times in the past year. <laughs> uh, and no. I mean, I, that's hardly the only time I've watched it. I, too, probably watch it about once a year. Yeah. I, I missed out on the disastrous Fathom event show. that, that I was just uh, about to ask if you had attended uh, such disaster. But I which... did see I did see a screening a few years ago at, at the Alamo Draft House, which I I had a, uh, you know, I have a wonderful anecdote of that I know. You know, Alamo, of course, has the, you know, you know don't talk, don't text, mm-hmm. but this, you know, completely full theater, uh, and, you know, at the blood test scene, all yelled out, you know, I don't want to spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking the couch. Fucking couch. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's celebration. That's yeah. the thing. There's a difference between somebody who's fucking with everyone's enjoyment of something and pure joy on display. And that, to me, is celebration of something that it's just, it is, there's so much personality and joie de vivre in what is ultimately an insanely depressing film was, in a was, lot of ways. I was going to say, it's very bleak. It is insanely bleak. It just... Not only does it not have faith for humanity's future, it doesn't have any faith in humanity's present. And yet, 
the characters on display here are amongst the best at micro contextualization. You are told who these people are, not so much in what they say about each other, but how they interact with one another, how they treat one another in a stressful situation. It's pretty amazing that this was dinged once upon a time by our old friend, <laughs> Roger Ebert. I was going to say Gene Donald uh, Siskel. <laughs> Gene Donald Siskel really hated this. But I feel like he doesn't make the greatest mistake about it that my good friend Roger Ebert does. Uh, a critic who I think is one of his his best facets was his ability to have empathy for whatever subject matter he was watching. But there is something about Carpenter's work in particular and special effects work at the time that seemed to set him off. And in his review, he basically says, you know, John Carpenter is focusing everything and all the camera time on the special effects, all the goo, all the gore. And he completely forgets about the human characters. And I'm like, what fucking movie did you watch? And I'm going to go out on a limb here once. Because well, if you recall, they, they said pretty much the same thing about, about aliens. Yes. Yep. That, you, know, you just didn't feel like you knew these characters. And it's like, yes. mm, mm. I don't know if I believe, I don't know if I, uh, you know, accept your police work there, Lou. <laughs> Um, and in particular, I think this is a critique that truly does not hold up the test of time based on the actual story that Carpenter's trying to tell here. Because if we knew everything about all of these characters, we would more, uh, it wouldn't be a lot harder to tell a story about the infiltration of humanity if you actually know someone's humanity. And that is why you pick these things up and drips and drabs along the way. You, you can't know the real Bennings and then all of a sudden Bennings is a thing. Because right. you would know. <laughs> so it's kind of the thing about the thing that he completely fucking misses. Well, yeah, and and I think what I think is interesting, and I didn't really notice this until several watches in, mm -hmm. is that um, with the exception of uh, Gary and Bennings, yeah, uh, none of these people really know each other, and right. I, and I think that's they're just they're just kind of stuck in this in this uh, on this assignment together, yeah. which is which is why the seeds of distrust are are planted so early on. Yes. It's one of the reasons why, you know, at, at a certain point, um, Blair immediately becomes suspicious of Clark, the guy who runs the dogs in the camp. And on paper, it absolutely makes sense, right? Clark was alone with the dog thing for the longest, unobserved. He allowed it to roam the camp, which 
under most circumstances, no one would have fucking cared about. But in light of all the new information they have, it doesn't look good for Clark. And on top of that, Clark acts strange. He's kind of, he's kind of, he's prickly at best. Like yes. he, you know, he kind of looks like he's there, you know, as part of a parole agreement. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, the, old, the only, the only warmth he shows towards, you know, any living creature is the dogs. Yes. You know, he, he seems annoyed when the guy who got shot earlier that day doesn't want the dog snipping around him. Yeah. He just, he doesn't understand it. Like, what do you have against these beautiful creatures? I like them more than I like you. Right. And as such, he's viewed as the other within a lot, a lot of the camp. So it's very easy for Blair and everyone else to immediately suspect him of being something that is infected because He's different. This is what the fucking movie's about. Exactly. Yeah. You'd asked me, you were starting to ask me before we went on to our tangent about cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think, well, I think you were going to ask me when I first saw this. Yeah. Um, I, I want to know. I, I, I saw it as I, as I see most of the movies talk about on cable. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't want to say that I was too young. Cause I was like, like 11 or 12 that's probably mm-hmm. not too young i mean i don't know if you'd show this to ollie or not but uh oh no i would not show this to ollie okay. he would he i don't think he would make it i mean once dog violence would start to happen oh that's the that's the would, rough that's the roughest scene in the movie i agree and he would not he would not be okay with it i mean everything else i think he's just not up for squirmy gore yet but there's no way he would make it through that scene. He just would not. Um, so I have a very distinct memory of, of putting it on and sitting there and having my, I was eating dinner in the living room mm-hmm. uh, and the the dog scene came on, which is, this is the first time the thing shows up. Yeah. And this is less than a half hour into the movie. <laughs> and basically this is like, you know, John Carpenter running into your house, the battering ram just like screaming at the top of his lungs, like, like, here it is. You know, there's no, there's no like hinting at how awful this thing might be, but it's just like, bam, here it is. It, yeah. it, it you know, it, it takes control and it just like rips apart whatever, whatever it is imitating. Um, I was eating ravioli. <laughs> <laughs> Chef Boyardee ravioli to right. uh, a, a, a famous dish in which something is inside something else and, and, and squishes and, 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 and smeared in red. Right. Uh, I, I literally did the whole like, like holding the fork up to my mouth and like clink, like drop it back into the bowl. And I was I mean, like, I thought, I thought two things. Mm-hmm. This is really gross. and this is awesome (laughs) my kingdom for someone in our audience someone who knows how to draw to to get to make a a plate or bowl of ravioli in which one of them is the dog thing with the crab (laughs) leg coming out of it and an alien flower hand I just love, I, I just love how that scene is staged. Yeah. Uh, I love how nobody knows how to react to it. That, no. that, you know, child's a, you know, a big burly guy looks terrified 
Like he just like you know, like uh like like his his brains just kind of like temporarily checked out. I have no idea what I'm looking at. You yes. know, everybody else just looks confused or scared or stunned. And yeah. it, it's it's so it's so great. It's amazing. It's incredible that they captured all of that on camera. I mean, the amount of work that went into that from a design standpoint and then an execution standpoint when it comes to Rob Botine and the year of work he put into this film at one point driving him to the hospital for exhaustion. It's all of it is on screen. It's and and I think that's both to its benefit and part of what cursed it upon its initial release because it was too much for people. But if you don't, if you're going to a thing, if you're going to a movie called the thing and you don't see the thing, Ah, you're not really getting your money's worth, baby. And here, all the money's on screen. And it is one of the, and it it gets it's crazy, and it gets crazier, and it gets crazier, and it gets crazier. Well, it's because I, you know, as it goes along, it they discover more and more aspects of the thing and how it works, and just unfortunately, they discover these, the you know, the this by you know having repeated horrifying encounters with it in various forms. Yeah. Uh, just that when it starts squirting purple toothpaste at the one dog, he's like, no, no, I don't want any of it. And then you see it later and it's flesh is melting. Yeah. It's like some sort of acid. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, the flower mouth that comes out of the center of it. And there's just that one random eyeball. Oh my God. The eyeball freaks me out. The eyeball freaks me out (laughs) so bad. And, you know, at the risk of sounding like an old timer, you know, this holds up, baby. <laughs> the only time it the only time it, it, it gets a little shaky is mm-hmm. near the end uh, when the tentacle comes out and pulls the um, uh, whatever the hell you call the it. The dynamite. Yeah. And you can see yeah. it's stop motion. Now, yes. now, normally I love stop motion. I think it's very charming. But, you know, after everything we've seen so far, this I mean, we've. You just a minute ago saw a guy stick his hand into another guy's face. Yeah. Um, right. So this was a bit of a letdown. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I can. Yeah. It's. It, there is also something about the stop motion of that particular early 80s period that just doesn't work quite as well. And I would also point to the Clash of the Titans. Right. And- yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. It just doesn't, for whatever reason, whether it was a stock or how often they had to process it, because you couldn't digitally process anything, obviously. So every pass that you do, you're sending that film through the machine another time. And it always adds like a thousand percent more grit and grime onto the lens and it just makes it look faker and faker and faker and faker. And you're absolutely right because you've seen so many in camera tricks that are so amazing. When crab legs come out of Palmer's fucking head or not, not Palmer's head out of, uh, out of uh, Norris, Norris's head, my apologies out of Norris's head. That is one of the wildest fucking things uh, you have ever seen on camera and it's just in reverse. 
It's yeah. just, it fucking works. It, it it has that charm that is missing from that one, you know, what, 30 second sequence? It's it's not a whole lot. No, but. no, 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 no. You know, and, and I, I liked the concept of the, I think it was 2011, the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the idea of the events leading up, you know, literally, you know, to, you know, the right when the, the 82 thing starts. Sure. You know, I, th- I thought that was pretty interesting and, and everything fell into place. You've got the guy who committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the things they discovered. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got the, you know, they show you the, the, the dog escaping. Right. But. The CGI in it is just so shitty. Have you it, seen? It's so bad. Have you seen the on YouTube the effects reel that they had pre CGI? No, this was supposedly it's supposedly better, isn't it? Oh, it's a thousand times better. It's a thousand times better, and it's made a thousand times worse by overusing the CGI because it just looks fake as fuck. Right, like and, there's there's a scene in the in the helicopter where like the guy's face splits in half, and it's like okay, oh, his yeah. his eyes aren't even moving. Come on, no, it's fucking it's just dead fish on camera. It, it is, it's like death spa. It, there's nothing <laughs> without the charm. It just <laughs> sits there, and you're like, you. It's worse when you see what they actually did, and that the. The face splitter, the 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 uh, comedy tragedy face that they end up dragging back to the camp in the '82 version. It looks so good in non CGI. Oh yeah, they they've literally connected this one of the actors to it, and he's dragging around and he's trying to pull his face away from the thing's face, and it looks amazing. And then you see the CGI version, you're like, oh God, they ruined it. It looks they like it looks like it, it looks like somebody's stretching bubble gum. Yes. It, it just it looks flat and no one knows how to look at it appropriately. We will maybe cover this in a separate episode, but just to just a smidge of Jurassic World domination talk. No <laughs> one in that movie looks at a dinosaur like holy shit, that's a dinosaur. And it doesn't matter what dinosaur it is, whether whether or not they're strolling through town or it's something you've never fucking seen before in your life, something you're, you're supposed to have complete awe of. They just, he never captures a moment of any of the non-Jurassic Park participants being in awe of dinosaurs. It's yeah, just I, I, another I, day. With a with a, a Jurassic Park movie, definitely what you want is, you know, eh. <laughs> when it comes to, I mean, you know, it's like they you know, the, the director watched the scene where uh um Sam Neill sees the uh I mean I know the doc uh, Apotosauruses mm-hmm. and he's just like awestruck. Yeah. And it's like eh. Yeah, I know what the camera move is. I come up while someone is standing up in a vehicle and takes off their glasses. That's what's important about it. No, you're mimicking a camera move, but not the emotion. And that is something to get back to. What are we talking about again? John Carpenter is the thing that makes it work. And, you, you know, you stated it earlier. People don't know what to make of it. Their philosophies... And their religion 
and their reality is melting in front of them. It's just cracking. Their brain is splitting. And weirdly enough, the film that I feel does this the best uh, in the same year, the same month is our old friend, Toby Hooper's Poltergeist. Yes. When people see what they see in that movie, their sanity starts to slip. When well, Joe Beth Williams comes up in that pool and there are skeletons there and saying, do you want to swim with us? We're having a skeleton swim party. <laughs> Her brain breaks. And that's how you know it's a Toby Hooper movie because nobody captured people's synapses flaming out and a person who was previously saying slipping into another realm like Toby Hooper. Carpenter at least has all the emotion of it. He doesn't have that one innate skill. He has, he possesses many, some that some that Toby Hooper does not. That's why there he's Toby Hooper and he's John Carpenter. But Carpenter never lets you forget that these are human beings because the film is about a non-human being. Right. Uh, I read, I was reading up a little bit before, even before we decided to do this. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kurt Russell uh, was giving, given some leeway to sort of flesh out his character a little bit. I mean, none none of it really comes out, but it's more in how he decided to play this character. Sure. Uh, And he basically decided that McCready was uh, an ex helicopter pilot in Vietnam yeah. who uh, through his, you know, either through an accident or, you know, his own, you know, something he you know, did incorrectly, you know, got someone killed or, or something of that measure. And that's now why he's an alcoholic. Right. Makes sense. And and that's why he takes these jobs that, you know, kind of have him, you know, isolated and away from society for months at a time. I mean, I think maybe this might be a question more for when we dig into the characters, uh, whenever that happens. But it does make me wonder. So if you have an idea in the audience, uh, reach out to us through Twitter, or Facebook, Instagram, wherever we post about the movie. Uh, or email us at killbykillpod at gmail.com. And when, whenever we pick up the thing again for a full-fledged episode, maybe we can read through those things. What is it about McCready that everyone, almost, with the exception of Childs, <laughs> but even Childs begrudgingly, why do they trust him so much? I get why they don't trust Gary, because Gary crumbles. Well, Gary, but- also, Gary also seems like a company, a company man. You know, a, like, but what company are they fucking working he, for? He, the, he, you know, he doesn't doesn't take any nonsense. Where sure, you know, McCready is sort of, you know, he's a, a you know reserved, but you know, he seems also kind of laid back. And as you know, as long as long as you do your jobs, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know oversee you. I mean, he's not in charge initially. He's just a pilot. You know, he right. he's not in charge ever. But honestly. Everyone looks to him at various points in the movie from the first second he's on screen when he interacts with other people. They're looking, what's McCready think about this? And How's it's, McCready handling And it's this? interesting because if you if you look at everybody's roles, like like the, the Wikipedia page for it breaks down what everybody was doing. Uh, 
you know, he's pretty low in the ranks. I mean, you've yes. got, you've got uh, uh, Blair is a biologist. Uh, 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 there's Dr. Copper. There's right. Mars is a geologist, you know, and, and he's a helicopter pilot. Right. My, my only feeling on this, and uh, I can be checked by anybody. Uh, Lord knows I, I've watched enough of the background materials of this, the, 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 that original it might have been on the laser disc originally, but I remember it from the first Universal DVD, the the documentary behind the scenes of of this film, which I I've probably watched as much as I've watched the thing. Sometimes I would just put it on to fall asleep. That's how much I enjoy it. <laughs> um, but like in my estimation, he's the one person who is trusted with everyone else's life when they've got to get somewhere. Well, yeah, I was, I was, I was actually, I was actually think I was actually was thinking that, that, you know, they're not getting out of there without him. Right. Like Childs, I'm sure does a lot of things very, very well, but his attitude um, puts him at an advantage and disadvantage. No one wants to come up against him, but also not a lot of people trust him. You know, Blair is, too curmudgeonly and you know norris is too much of a weenie and windows is so high strung like he can barely handle making a radio call he's gonna make decisions around here and clark he likes dogs too much it's weird you know nulls i trust to make my food and if we go out roller boogieing, he's definitely going to be my backward dance champion. I mean, he's got great, he's got great taste in music. He does have he, great you know, He's taste blasting the Stevie Wonder. Oh, I'd, 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 I'd hang out. <laughs> there are a lot of good hangs and bad hangs, but McCready is the one person that you most often put your life in his hands. And therefore, that just builds up trust over time because... He's the one who's constantly earning it. Like his opinion of whether or not we can go up, whether or not we can fly here or there is the sacrosanct. Like his ability has been proven over and over again. Whereas no one trusts Palmer to do anything. Right. Because again, Palmer is, he's constantly smoking weed and, and you know, his job isn't all that important. He's like child's assistant. Yeah, basically he's he's he, he gets child high basically <laughs> um i think one of the the elements that i found this time because listen uh you can chalk up what the thing is to a lot and over the years everyone has made their case and i don't think there's a lot of bad cases like obviously the first one has to do with its connection to the original, which is Red Scare Communism, right? Right. Who do you trust? That's a very uh, old-time, or you know, a Red Scare trope. Then, of course, you start to get post-80s, and everyone goes, oh, here's this thing that invades your body, and you can't trust it, and people you think you know are all of a sudden changing in front of you. It's the AIDS crisis. I feel like it's a little early for that, though. Yeah. Oh, I don't think it's intentional. I think it is part of when when it comes to that is the disintegration of trust in social structures post Vietnam Watergate and Reagan being elected to the White House. 
Uh, well, this movie was uh, uh, pre Reagan, but you know, uh, an obvious. I mean, Reagan's Reagan's elected in eighty, goes into office eighty one. So well, no, 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 it, no. I, I was going to talk about another. Was going to reference another movie that came out. Oh. Uh, what would be a you know a, a, a you know a pretty obvious double feature with this, even though they they do the same concepts in a different sure. way, is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh yes, which definitely has that you can't trust society anymore the only the, the only difference the, the well i should say not the only the primary difference is that once the aliens in invasion of the body snatchers take over and clone their human host uh they don't make much effort to to, to try to act like no. uh the the humans they replace i think one of the one of the you know most chilling moments is when people's spouses are starting to figure out that this isn't my husband. And and it's like, it gets you thinking, it's like, yeah, I guess I would notice that pretty quickly. Wouldn't I? If like, you know, if if, there's something you, you intrinsically about their character just changed out of nowhere. Whereas in, in the thing, um, I, I think that it's trying a little bit. I mean, it doesn't get a whole lot of time, before right. it, it decides to, you know, hello all, but uh, uh, <laughs> but I think up to a certain point, it is trying to elude detection. Yes. When I was watching it this time, I wondered when it came to Norris's heart attack, because you kind of assume maybe because he replicated Norris and Norris may have, may have had a heart condition, that it replicated Norris's heart condition. Or... Has it been Norris and like it's been the dog for so long that it can't maintain its transformation for Patrick, an extended I, I, period? I swear to God, I was drinking something and I almost did a spit take because I was going to bring up Norris. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. I want your Norris take now. I was going to ask, you know, is there a possibility that... Now, I, I feel like the answer is no, because the, you know, the human Bennings was obviously quite dead when when right. the the, uh, the thing was taking it over. I mean, it literally had like a tentacle going into his mouth and eyeball. Um, yes. But is there a point when you have been taken over by a thing and you're st- still somewhat human? And um, I didn't say that's A, my question. And mm-hmm. B, are you aware of what's happening to you? I think... The my feelings on this can be typified by the remains of Fuchs. When they go out and they find Fuchs and his eyeglasses and he's burned to death. And he doesn't seem to be transformed. But he may have been caught. And instead, he he does the sacrifice play. He lights a few, he, he lights a flare. And he, he lights himself on fire thinking, well, it won't get me and also it won't fool anyone else. And I think there's a there are moments during the attack in which you know what's happening and might be able to do something about it. Well, I, I do also wonder if it if once it assimilates you, if there's a part it's obviously using a part of your consciousness, it's absorbed your brain and knows how you function is there a part of you that's dare i say it in the sunken place 
Yeah, where well, I was, you can see its actions. Right. Well, you were saying that I, I think the answer to the the you know what's the deal with Norris is I, I think it's probably you're probably correct that Norris already had. I mean, he's a big guy. You know, mm-hmm. he, I think he already had heart problems, and right. that when the thing takes it over, it kind of takes on. Wasn't um what was the what was it Stephen King's Desperation, in which mm-hmm. you know it would if you had already had an illness, it would kind of hasten your death. Yes, I um, believe so. I, I remember a particularly disgusting moment when someone sneezes and like the you know, the entire their entire nasal passages like blow out of their nose. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, that was awful. <laughs> But I think one of the reasons I like that book. I oh, think it, was, oh it, was, book. it was no holds fucking barred with the gore and like killing off kids. And, and, yeah. but, um, like for instance, you know, Palmer's obviously has already been assimilated and, and thinged out. Yeah. So he knows what's coming, right? I think he does know what's coming, but he is, you, he has also absorbed Palmer's, personality in order to mask itself and so he's going to react the way palmer reacts because that's how you hide again it's right in the poster you know the uh, man is the warmest place to hide and that is this thing's ultimate goal here he knows at least it knows at least at this point that it's not going to get anywhere that's truly populated until after winter. He just needs to knock out enough of its competition in order that so that when it's found, it's then taken back to a more populated area where it's not in danger of being frozen into hibernation and do enough damage before they can burn it. Uh, I do like the whole that, that it wants to you know, kind of you know remain dormant until uh, the weather warms up. Which hey, uh, yeah. that that'd be great if it was now. There be there <laughs> should be there should be things all over the place. Hey, you know we fucking deserve that. I'm sorry for this tangent. Um, <laughs> I, I do. Lo- I always love the scene where uh, right near the end where um, uh, Gary comes in. He's like the generator's gone, and and McCready's like, well, can we fix it? It's gone, McCready. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. It's There's just, nothing he just to like, fix. Somebody just picked it up and walked away with it. <laughs> um. All right. Let me. I. I just want to. Uh, let's go back to Palmer just very quickly because the, upon watching it this time, I think I've had the idea before, but it it makes so much more tragic sense if you also want to be bummed out by this movie that. Jesus fucking Christ. It was that helicopter like directly over the roof. They're coming For to get fuck's you. Sake. What, have you right. do, what have you done? <laughs> Becky shouldn't have robbed that bank. But we need the money. That's the thing. <laughs> That's where they keep all the money, Gina. Uh, don't invest in NFTs. Anyways, um, Palmer, speaking of Holcomb, uh, Palmer has that that one little speech where they're like, you know, let's face it. Like this thing's a fucking alien and Palmer's <laughs> child's is like Palmer. Do you believe this bullshit? And he's like, well, yeah. Um, you know, they practically own South America. It's all that <laughs> chariots of the gods, racist alien bullshit that like 
oh, there's no way the these Indian you know civilizations would have been able to figure out how to build a pyramid, even though like every civilization at the time figured out how to build a fucking pyramid. So <laughs> um, it's oh god, I hate it, I hate it. But that is the danger in shitty conspiracies because shitty conspiracies allow us to dismiss real conspiracies. How are, how were, you know, real politicians and journalists somehow shocked by a terrible coup, a sloppy coup. And the re, you know, cause the idea that these feeble jokers and fucking hokey racists and dumb Trump dipshits, you know, how could they possibly mount an insurrection? That's too crazy. Well, you do it because you have a bunch of shitty conspiracies that occupy everyone's fucking time and brain space, like QAnon stuff. All that is, is stuff that muddies up the fucking water for real legitimate happening in front of your face conspiracies. Because that other stuff, just you can't, no one can fucking hold the fucking secret. And guess what? No one could hold a fucking secret when it came to January 6th either. This is how they get you, everybody. This They use your fucking humanity against you, and that's how the thing wins. I mean, is there, is there, you know, is there any you know, line of film dialogue that sums up the past two years better than nobody trusts anyone and we're all very tired? <laughs> so I have a question about this, Gina. I'm glad you brought this up because how many times have we seen that screen grab on Twitter and since 2016, right? Correct. So why does McCready erase that part of his speech? Why does he record it? Think better of it. Rewind the tape and record over it. Um, that's a good question. Uh, this has been, I've been, this has been puzzling my thinker. All goddamn day. Um, you know, I, I wondered that myself. Um, maybe, maybe he didn't want to have anyone. He, but he didn't want to imply that they had done this to each other. I, I mean, I don't, you know, some sort of like Donner Party thing where they all went crazy mm-hmm. and killed each other. Oh, I, I, that is I, a I very com- rational. I'm completely pulling it out of my butt. But uh, no, well, I, I sprung it on you, but. I also think that is an explanation that makes perfect sense because it slowly starts to dawn on everyone. And, and, you know, Blair's the first one who, who figures it out with his cute little computer program. <laughs> it's cute. Little, uh, which is cute very little, 1982 accurate. And that's why I love it. His cute little um, gun. Yeah. I'll kill you. <laughs> I love how he, I love that line. reading. <laughs> I'll kill you. Oh, when are we doing hard target? When are we covering hard target? Clark Clark came to Antarctica directly from his stint uh, playing a bartender at the Tombstone <laughs> tourist <laughs> tourist town. Oh my god! Oh, movies are awesome. They are the best. They they are just so cool, man. They are. Can we just talk about how awesome movies are right now? Especially John Carpenter. I mean, not movies. right now. Every era, like even in 1982, 
there were some shitty ass movies, everybody, as good as it was. Yeah, like I said, play play the box office game because you will be like, that's not a fucking movie. <laughs> um, or, or you get a situation like today's puzzle. Uh, well, today being June 29th, which presumably mm-hmm. uh, this will go up next week, so I won't spoil it for you. Um, mm-hmm. Where the top five movies were Major League Two, <laughs> The Mighty Ducks Two. Oh my God! Uh, a movie I don't even recall the called The Paper. Um, uh huh. With the uh, Michael Keaton. Yes. Uh, naked, the Ron Howard joint. Naked Gun, Thirty Three and a Third. Oh, love it. Um, and I want you to try to guess what the fifth movie was. You'll never guess. <laughs> no, I mean, do you have a hint for me? Uh, Academy Award winning. <laughs> oh, what year are we talking? 1994. 1994. Academy Award winning. And this was the spring? Um, I believe, I think it was April. Yes, it was April. April, Okay. Ooh, Academy Award winner uh, for 1993. Oh fuck! This is why I suck at this game. I don't know. Was it a, was it the the Academy Award winner or it just went won some? It Academy was Awards? the Academy Award winner. Oh fuck! Do <laughs> <laughs> so you know? Uh, well, Silence would have won in in '93. But this would have been, but came out in 90. No, that came out in 91 and one in 92. Oh, fuck. I don't know. Tell me. Schindler's List. Oh, of course. Schindler's <laughs> <List>. <laughs> Major League Two yeah. did better at the box office that particular week than Schindler's List. <laughs> well, at that point, though, because Schindler's List had come out in the fall of 93. So that it that's it popping back into the top five. Because it had won a couple months ago. That's that's people catching up to it, going, well, all right, I've heard this is good, but it won the Academy Award, so I'm going to take my medicine. That's and it's, see it. it's still so jarring to me. Like, I, I saw the tagline. I'm like, mm, I don't know what this is. And then I clicked on <laughs> Liam Neeson. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> really? Really? But also, if you're one of these people who... Um, you know, complains that ah, movies these days are all just sequels. I again implore you to play this game because right. you will see that sequels have been around for a very long time. Yes, yes, and remakes, and and doing the same movie with a different fucking name, like right. it just has always been a part of what it is. It is not as April Wolf has often said. And I love to quote her because it's a very good statement in that it is not what happens in a movie, but how it happens. And John Carpenter's The Thing is a wonderful example of essentially remaking a premise, but making it a completely different movie by how it what happens within, like how it tells that story could not be more different than the original Howard Hawks version of the thing from another world, a movie that if you took a drink, everyone slams a door, you would be dead half an hour into the movie. (laughs) Everyone walks in, closes the door, walks out, closes the door. It just, it, it can't like it. Somehow everyone believes if you don't see someone use a door, 
well, how did they get into that room? <laughs> Just, I mean, listen, the James Arness being electrified in the hallway scene, great stuff. Fantastic. Highly recommend. I can't recommend any other part of that movie. Yeah, and it's it's surprising. I mean, if you're going to watch it after watching the 82 thing, you are going to be extremely disappointed. Yeah. No, just know going into it that it just, it really doesn't quite hold up. I, I can understand children of a certain age because it was a film that was primarily aimed at children and teenagers who, you know, teenagers probably giving hand, doing hand stuff in a drive-in, <laughs> you know, it's aimed at a specific audience. It's not, and the scientist character in that movie, who's like, here's the deal. I love this thing from another world. I think it's better than humans. We got to get on board, everybody. Which, which th- this, this version of the thing does not have. You, you don't, no. you don't have someone who's like, like Blair is initially fascinated by it. But mm-hmm. he immediately recognizes the danger, you right. know, so much yeah. that like his brain just melts. Yeah, like you know, oh, we are so fucked. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, <laughs> and he he sees the pitfalls. From I mean, it's the opposite of and it weird that I, it's not that weird because when we start to have themes, whenever we have a different season of the show, but when we're seeing some of these little bits and bobs coming in the aftermath of the 79 alien is that one has that wonderful little twist on it that the the xenomorph bleeds acid you can't just stab it you can't cut its head off because the acid will go right through the spaceship and then we're all fucked and in here you almost have the same but different kind of of self-defense mechanism. The only thing that really slows the thing down is burning it. Right. But if you burn it to a crisp, you will burn down the camp that will keep you warm from the the cold that will kill you. Right, because so, because the final the final boss of the thing is this enormous amalgamation of everything that it is that it is assimilated. You can right. see like a dog face in it. You could see I, I think it's Blair. Um yeah. but like it's just this horrible, you know, sort of twisting mass. And I did read that the the screaming it makes at the end is some of the actors like doing their own screaming. So it's, yeah. it's sort of, I mean, and again, that, that kind of uh, lends credence to your theory of, you know, there's still a little bit of, of you in them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Otherwise so, it wouldn't be able to, to do what it does. Right. Like it, it just, I don't think it can hold the shape for very long. Uh, it's natural state is all of its states. So if it's holding on to Norris or bending for too long or that dog, like it just, once it's in that pen with the other dogs, it's like, all right, here's my opportunity. I'm going to take over all these other fucking dogs and then I'll have all the dogs and it'll be easier to take over all the humans. Uh, I just don't think it can hold its shape for that long. Otherwise it starts to hurt. Yeah. I, I, um, you know, this, this movie has my favorite title card and it is, and it is insane how, how simple the effect was. 
Sure. But just the they they just basically burn it into some plastic with with with, with light shining behind it. It sort of makes yeah. this almost like expllosive noise. Yeah. And it's so good, Patrick. It's so it's, it's good. The best. This is while I was watching it, I'm thinking, it's not flashy or anything, but is this in contention for one of the best credit sequences of all time? Not because the credits are so great, because it ends so well. Yeah, and, and you've got that that really chilly score and the Ennio Morricone score. Right. It, it, which just like really just at the beginning, it just, uh, uh, you know, sets the whole theme, like, you know, where you just kind of feel a little, you're kind of hunching your shoulders up a little bit because suddenly you feel really cold. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the, it sounds like a, a heartbeat that's slowing down. Yeah. There's, there's something about it that is as primal as the, you know, the Jaws thing that, it's it's incredible. I mean, Morricone, obviously, a, an incredible musician whose scores are, you know, some of the best ever committed to film. And yet, there's part of him that takes on the challenge of a Carpenter film where he goes, "I'm gonna kind of, I'm gonna add you into this." There's no way I can have a we can have a Carpenter movie without some Carpenter element. But there's also you know big orchestral sweeps to this. It's not just you know, masses of chords and corgs. There, there's, there's a warm orchestra to it, but it's so carpenter. It's not carpenter. Also, on top of that, right? It's, exactly. Uh, the, oh, everything about this movie is so fucking good. Yeah, I always make a joke about how a movie is flawless or or uh, a masterpiece. This really is flawless. No notes. Yeah, it truly is. Like there might be quibbles here and there, but ultimately the sum of all of its parts are amazing and the parts are amazing. Right. And, you know, I can kind of believe why if you went into this movie in an era where even haunted houses built on graveyards were fun and there's fun to be had here, but you have to be of a mindset for that fun. And I just don't pe- think people were in a mindset for this. Well, the, 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 you know, the general belief is that after E.T., which again had come out a week before this. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if this movie failed, it was mostly, a, and, and, you know, the same goes for Blade Runner. I, I, I certainly if Blade Runner had been released later in the year i think it would have done a lot better it's yeah. as as you know a, a special effects extravaganza as it is although is it though it's you know except for the flying cars it's pretty understated in that regard but for a yeah, science, it is very earthbound when it comes to, to right but, but for a science fiction movie it's not really a summer movie no, um and the thing is really not a right i think movie. that if you'd release the thing in like november when it starts right. getting cold um, you know, I think I honestly think it would have done a lot better. Yeah, would ET have still beaten at the box? I would probably. Um, yeah, I mean, ET was beating things at the box. Like ET beat a uh, Christmas story at the right. Box it was. Office. It was. It was. A, it was up in the top five it, into nineteen eighty three. I, yes. I, I think people they, they just ran it right, and then I think that you know coming out so soon after ET, you've got you know two very different interpretations of 
you know, evil outsiders where yeah. you've got the, the, uh, uh, you know, depending on your interpretation of Blade Runner, they're not so evil, but you know, generally where they're, they're kind of painted in a villainous light. They're only as man made them, Gina. Well, yes. And, um, and I think the problem with the thing is now I'm sure someone will be happy to correct me, but mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, even counting slasher movies that there was a mainstream movie, you know, up to that point, this gory. I don't think so. And this was the one, this something that occurred to me the other day when I was just thinking about this and I'm like, Gene is right. We should talk about this. Because I think there there had to be a belief within the Hollywood system post-Alien uh, that there was a genuine appetite for sci-fi films that really challenged you, right? Right. That, that pushed the boundaries. That, that, you know, people like Star Wars, but they also like Alien. There's just... And you're in the aftermath of Texas Chainsaw. You're in the aftermath of uh, Friday the 13th, which was, you know, in the top five of 1980. It did that well. Um, So gore was a thing that was a new tool in the toolbox. Makeup effects were happening. An American werewolf in London did well. So it's not to say that people didn't have an appetite for that kind of magic trick, but there is something so visceral and disturbing about Botine's work here. Well, it's a little, it's a little, you know, it's a lot of gore. It's a lot of body horror. um, And it's just, it's, it's kind of relentless after a point. And I think it works better when you kind of know what's going to happen. But they really sold the mystery of the thing. And I don't think people had an appetite for it. Uh, You know, the economy was in the middle of a massive recession. Unemployment was over 10%. People were in a doldrums point. They, They wanted to escape. And the one thing that the thing does not allow you to do <laughs> is escape. Right. It's not just, you know, sort of, a, you know, like the like uh, watchmen. You know, I'm not stuck in here with you. You're stuck in here with me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much. And, so. and it's, you know, it's, it's you know, pretty great when uh, McCready does. Yeah, fuck you, too. And, and blows it up. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, but he's still going to die. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, and, you know, it is triumphant, but it's that. It's that ending that you kind of have that I think works better in a intimate setting than it does a we've all got our popcorn in front of us setting. Now, and once you know it, you and if it if it works for you, it works for more people than it doesn't now. But at the time, it just wasn't gonna fly, baby. Just wasn't gonna fly. I I don't know if this is a question. <coughs> sorry, that we should um you know, hold off on until, you know, a more, you know, deeper dive in this, in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want me to ask it or? 
Yeah, why not? But maybe someone, maybe our listeners will have their say. We can discuss it in greater length with our feelings about it then and then voice what they have to say. Oh, well, I mean, it's a question that's been asked many times. I'm just, you know, mm-hmm. wondering what your opinion is. Um, now, John Carpenter has said, although it sounds like he kind of said it in exasperation because he's getting tired of being asked this, that mm-hmm. Childs is a thing. Sure. Now, I don't. I I've always, you know, been under the impression. And I don't think it really matters. You know, it's a, you know, it's one of my favorite things. It's it's you know, you could call it an ambiguous ending. I mean, I think it's a very bleak ending, um, mm-hmm. but I don't think either of them are. Um, I don't think either of them are. And right. I think and I think that if best if uh, I I don't know the thing would go so far as to act like he's you know it is wounded and dying. Yeah. yeah, I think he would just, I, I certainly don't think he would just sit there with McCready. You know, McCready's, McCready's already been, you know, grievously injured. So he right. he's not a threat anymore to, to, so I don't see, if Childs was a thing, I don't know why he just wouldn't skulk away and try to, try to, you know, you know, find shelter somewhere, refreeze itself. Yes, that is my feeling too. And the fact that they can't trust one another and that they're both human, I think is the ultimate answer to the movie right like that it doesn't tell you is a great facet of the film right that you can have a different opinion does not does not in any way shape or form in my mind make you wrong nor do i feel i'm right it just feels right to me given the given the thematic information i feel the the film is going for throughout exactly god this movie's so good so fucking. I could watch it. I could uh, watch it once a week and not get bored of it. It really, the dialogue sings. The performances are so committed. Everyone knows exactly what they're doing and what kind of movie they're in. They're all committed to the game, and because the effects are so visceral and real and bizarre, and their reactions are so legitimate, like you got to be fucking kidding me works and people have tried to do that again and it's really hard especially in the cgi era of you gotta be fucking well because you can't you you don't know what you're looking at right and here they know intimately what they're looking at and it you even though people can do grander and supposedly greater things i just it doesn't get much grander or greater it's hard to do these days every once in a while someone figures out a way to do a variation of this that that uh you know really stands up and i congratulate it but it, it's it's tough to do yeah uh splinter is one that i feel is a little unsung that comes very close to um this in terms of that's so fucking disturbing to look at. I that I can't believe that's real and yet it is real. <laughs> Have you ever seen Splinter? I, I I did I haven't, but I for a split second I was confusing it with Split, the M Night Shyamalan movie. Oh. And I'm like, <laughs> Patrick, you okay? Uh, I have something to confess. I've had a brain injury. Uh, <laughs> and then that film's fine. That film's good. I played I not, played football and I took too many hits <laughs> to the dome. <laughs> I uh took a dive into a pool and it was empty. Um <laughs> no, Splinter. Uh I can't remember, I think 2003, 2004. It's a good flick. It's a good flick. It's solid. Um but 
Uh, that just about does. We won't play Choose Your Own Death Venture because we'll save that for our deeper dive. But um, there's no good way to die here, people. Oh, it's all <laughs> it's all terrible. I mean, even like like like. I mean, at best, at best, maybe you'll freeze to death. Yes, uh, honestly, that might be the the nicest way to go. At least you'll get drunk while you're doing it. Or or maybe burn. I mean, you've also you also got the uh, Norwegian guy just you know, you know, takes a shot to the melon. That that's you know that's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, that one guy who slits his own throat oh. and the blood freezes. He's really dug in there, and I don't remember enough about it. The yeah, that's uh, that's that's in there. They, they I mean, it doesn't show him doing it, but he's discovered. Right. Okay. <sighs> Do I want to watch the 2011 version again? Uh, uh. <sighs> I mean, again, I like the concept. I mean, it really, yeah. it, it really takes the idea of a prequel, you know, the, the pre part and like, well, you know, what if we made a prequel that ends, you know, approximately 10 minutes before the next movie begins? Right. Well, you know, I don't begrudge them for trying. And I do feel like their intent was to make the best in-camera effects movie they possibly could. And they got fucked over. How many movies have we covered here uh, that are just massively fucked over and you know about it and you just have to wonder, like, how could you make decent art out of something like that when you just, when they take it out of your hands and sometimes you watch a movie and you're like, why didn't they take this out of someone's hands? This is, this is the worst uh, possible, uh, you know, stab at this you could possibly give, so... I don't know. It's a rough one. I was just thinking about that Nightmare on Elm Street remake again the other day. Oh, God. Why? <sighs> oh, I, have you seen the the memes going around on Twitter? It's like, oh, choose your uh, your favorite movie from the, you know, the 20, the, the, the 2020s, 2010s. I think mm-hmm. I think I've seen it go as far back as like the early 90s. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of the selections in uh, whenever the fuck decade it came out in was uh, was the Nightmare uh, reboot. I'm like, what kind of maniac is picking that as as the I, the like the the, you know, the movies they would save? Right, and we said it on the the show when we covered it. Like, it, there seems to be this like weird non issue, and we talked about it. like it's not a J a, a Jackie Early Haley problem. And everyone, like, the other day I said, like, it's not a Jackie Early Earl Haley problem. Like, yeah, that's not a problem anyone has with that movie. <laughs> it's a problem they have with the character he's forced to play where uh, it teases that he might be, that he might not be guilty. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, that's an interesting move. And it's like, no, he's a child molester. We're going to spend the last 20 minutes really reinforcing the child molester. We're going to, we're going to make this very fetishy by, by, yeah. you know, putting in a, you know, an adult woman in little girl clothes. Oh, oh God damn it. Oh, you got that just, part, didn't you? Oh, I did. I think I wanted to. And now it's back in my head. Oh, what a motion picture. Now, see that one. I have a lot of notes for that one, as opposed to uh, as opposed to the thing. Right, I can speak extemporaneously, but and yet I had no problem watching it again. I have a whole bunch of notes I haven't even gotten to yet, but I feel like we've sold people on watching John Carpenter's The Thing, though, don't you? Oh yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, <laughs> if you're on the fence. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I know we, we kind of came off as a little, you know, reserved. Mm, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're trying not to be fanboy, fangirlish uh, about this movie, but yeah, we really care for it. And if you haven't seen it, uh, don't feel bad. There's a million fucking movies in the world. No one can see them all, baby. And I promise you, there's something that I haven't seen that you're like, you haven't seen that? We all have. We have a bunch of them. There's a lot of movies. Just, you know, give it a shot. Yeah, I was going to say, you'll, you'll you probably, give it a chance because it, you're, you are in for a treat. And I'll tell you what, I have found very interestingly mm-hmm. that a lot of people who don't like horror for some reason, you know, will like this, and and I'm and I think maybe it might be because it's so outrageously over the top that it's mm-hmm. like okay, this is something like this is not going to really happen, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so you know, there's a, there's a a you know very distinct line between okay, this is a little too real, you know. I, I yeah. think if anything, it was going to be on uns- you know upsetting. It's going to be all the gore. But it's, sure. you know, I don't know if it's a movie that necessarily gives you nightmares. Uh, it, it's just, it's, you know, it's just very unnerving. Yes. Yes. And I think it could be the thing that gives you nightmares because its imagery is so crazy that it could worm its way into your brain. Like, I don't think the brood is particularly gory, but every once in a while, one of those little clone uh little girls pops into my brain and they're like and they're, and and like, they're little exterminator uniforms yeah yeah they're little parkas and i'm like oh fuck <laughs> like it's just part of my brain chemistry now that that scares me so it's possible with that too um but it is legitimately just what a wonderful movie and um it's a shame that it didn't do well and i know carpenter is sick of also people telling him it's a it's a perfect brilliant movie because it tanked his career for a little yeah while. uh he was supposed to do a fire starter right. off, off of this he had gotten a three-picture deal and they're like yep yeah, nope we're not no. we're not going we're not we're not going through with this contract this this is terrible this is bad and you should feel bad and i personally feel like he was saved a little bit by not doing Firestarter because fire that new one kind of shows you that some things are better on the page. Yeah, I was gonna say it, it's a concept that works like a lot of Stephen King novels. Yeah, it works much better as a book and you know with your own thoughts conjuring up you know what a certain scene might look like because it's again like Desperation. Now of all fucking things, they made it into a TV movie. Yeah, and it's like I, well, that was back when that was the only medium you could make I, a Stephen. I heard King about property. that, and I'm like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Not like the only the only thing they did right was casting the the casting Ron Perlman as the the sheriff who I think he's the one that blows his nasal mucus like yeah. his nasal passages out onto the on the, like a. I remember it specifically. I remember the scene in the book was like it like went all over his dashboard. I'm like, oh god. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. like that, it's like sad. it's like you know, talk about neutering something. Uh, well, yeah, and there's no way you can evoke when that kid. I don't like the religiosity of it. I, whatever, it's part of the content, but. 
Um, when he forces himself through the bars, cause he's the skinniest one to do it, but he kind of gets caught. Like that description in the book is nightmare inducing. And there, and I just, there's, it's hard to capture on TV on a TV budget making that work. It's just hard to do. It's yeah. really hard to do. Yeah. Um, so that just about does it, but don't worry folks. Um, you know, there's more to come. Gina, where can people find you on these here internet? I write about movies and television at the spool.net. I have recently reviewed, um, the hit horror movie, the black phone. Uh, oh yeah. It was fine. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm not, not quite sure. I, I get the rapturous. This is the scariest movie I've ever seen. Applause. It was fine. Um, okay. And I will be covering season four of what we do in the shadows, which is you know, one of the greatest, oh. one of the greatest TV shows of the century. A, a wonderful tour de force of both comedy and, I think it does kind of of, the human heart of it is what carries the day, but it is a fantastic joke machine. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. And I am on Twitter under Gina does thing. Do it today. People check it out. Uh, Rate and review us on whatever your podcast of choice. We haven't been rated or reviewed in quite some time. uh, And I would love to to see more of it. It it helps us be seen and heard by more people. Uh, Josh Hall does our artwork and uh, Revenge Body does our music. Go to Revenge Body uh, at Bandcamp and you can get uh, our music and his and so much more. Uh, We have the Tee Public shop for all your uh, kill by kill needs. We have some cool stuff up there that you should check out today. Uh, can I, Our Patreon. Uh, yeah, I uh, I we do have some new patrons. Let me just uh, cool. mention say hello to um, Malcolm, uh, oh. Eli, and Jessica. Malcolm, Eli, Jessica, thank you for helping keep this podcast going and free for all to listen to. We truly appreciate it. We're hoping you're getting the most out of our. Uh, extra movie coverage every month and our Halloween commentaries. We've got the Rob Zombie Zombie, Rob Zombie uh, Halloween up and at the end of this month we'll have his Halloween 2. So that will be interesting to hear about. Uh, Don't worry folks, the body count will continue for myself and for Gina. Bye bye everybody. Bye.